0: You're listening to the BH Photography Podcast. For over 40 years, BH has been the professional source for photography, video, audio, and more. For your favorite gear, news, and reviews, visit us at bnh.com or download the BNH app to your iPhone or Android device. Now here's your host, Alan Weitz. Greetings and welcome to the b Photography Podcast. Today we welcome landscape architecture and garden photographer Larry Letterman to our podcast. Larry is the author of six books featuring his botanical and horticultural photography, including the upcoming Garden Portraits, Experiences of Natural Beauty, which will be published by Monticelli Press on October 13th, 2020. We're going to talk more about that book in the second half of our program, but it is currently available for pre order, and that link is in our show notes. Larry's other books include The Rockefeller Family Gardens and American Legacy and Magnificent Trees of the New York Botanical Garden. In 2015, he also published Interior Landmarks, Treasures of New York, which featured his architectural photography. Welcome to our show. Well, thank you for having me. Given that we mentioned your architecture photography book, how do you connect the dots between landscape, architecture, interiors, or specifically gardens? Are, are they variations on the same approach, or do you have to approach each of these entities with a different set of rules or parameters?
1: I think they're variations on the same approach. Uh, we can get into that if you want. Um,
2: We've got yeah. an hour. Go for yeah. it. Let's get okay. into it. <laughs> <laughs> here. Uh, well, now I didn't have to mention I, it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I was. Basically, uh, an outdoor photographer uh, when I was asked to do the interior landmark, Treasures of New York. And I was very reluctant to do it because I knew that it's very complex to do things indoors, especially with respect to, um, you know, distortion, dealing with the wide angle lenses and with lighting. And um, so, but I had done one thing uh, for... Uh, the Landmarks group and they had asked me to do something in a Grand Central Terminal and I had uh, taken some photographs of the terminal and my experience was that it was not bad I did it without lights and I really used the same technique everything, I I work with a a tripod uh, outside and inside and I work in natural light inside listen, I fell into photography rather than being a photographer that fell into uh, uh, garden photography. Uh, I have property in Westchester. We have a garden. And I was very interested. This is 20 years ago. I was very interested in the, uh, the trees. And so I decided I would make a record of my trees. But I'm not an accountant type. And we had a friend who said, why don't you buy a camera and take pictures? So I said, that's not a bad idea. So I bought a Leica camera, which was probably a mistake. Because no. it, Yeah, no. it is because <laughs> it's a really interesting. It's a it's a wonderful camera. It's a great camera, uh, but it's a. Um, it you don't you don't look through the lens in the in the old M5.
0: It's not the and, right tool for the job, is what it is. That's
1: correct. Yeah, that's correct. And um, so you really. It's very very hard if you're first starting to get a sense of perspective and of a depth of field. Really difficult. So yeah, actually, I understand
0: that. yes, sure.
1: Having spent the money for the camera, though, <laughs> I could hear my mother saying, "You're going to give this up. You spent so much So I, we I have worked the same at mother. It. I didn't know that. <laughs> well, so I worked at it, and uh, actually, it was turned out to be brilliant because. I realized that the, the art of it is totally conceptual. You have to decide what it is that you want to see. Yeah. And then you then figure out how to take it. And one of the things I was doing at the time, because my photographs were so awful, they really were, I decided to, uh, I saw things in the garden. I saw images that looked like the trees were animals, were the way the shadows and the light would fall. And so I began to try to take pictures of them with the Leica camera, and I would uh, use slides, and when it would come back, uh, the creatures I saw weren't there. And I realized that I was not really using the camera properly, uh, that somehow or other, I had to figure out uh, what depth of field to use and how to position myself so that this transient light would show up in such a way that it had a shape. Interesting. And I had to work at it, but I did. And I wound up with about a dozen images or more uh, that were quite good, quite quite interesting. And uh, at the time, uh, as a lawyer, I was on the board of the New York Botanical Garden. So I went out to the garden. I said, "How would you like to have?" I had a slogan: "All the tree, all the animals aren't in the zoo." And they said to me, "Forget it; <laughs> it's of absolutely no interest to us whatsoever." <laughs> so uh, I took all my wares. They said, "But we have a, a marketing products manager. Why don't you go see her?" So she said, "Oh, they're charming." Why don't we do a calendar? So they did a calendar and it sold out. (laughs) Wow. And then she said to me, okay, let's do another one. And I said, no more. And she said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm into the landscape. She says, okay, bring back what you have a year from now and we'll look at it. And so that was the beginning because after that, people came to me and asked me to do various things. But what happened was it's sort of funny in a way because when you start out self-taught, you're always sort of wondering whether or not you really are doing the right thing. And I felt that I should get a, uh, a camera that I could look through the lens because it would give me more scope and so forth. And by then I decided, uh, you know, people have been telling me you should use black and white. And here I am uh, doing trees I said I don't want to do trees in black and white, and so I decided I'd get a Nikon. And as soon as, I, I had a Nikon film camera, and as soon as I could go digital, I went digital. So uh, we did a number of calendars, but then what happens is it's very interesting. Uh, the head of the botanical garden came to me and said, "You know, the pictures aren't bad, but people tell me you don't have a good camera." So I said I don't have a good camera. So I said, "Well, I said, let me tell you this: it's the top of the line. It's the best camera Nikon makes. And um, if the photographs are no good, it's my fault. That's it. Okay. Yeah, totally. So, <laughs> and a year later, um, the, the the garden called me. I was doing so well, the calendars got me some referrals. Uh, Olana, which is the home of Frederick Church, and I did a book on Olana later on, Mm -hmm. called me and asked me if I would do the landscape there based on my uh, photographs of the garden. Hmm. And I had, um, and so I wound up starting to do, uh, you know, other work. And at a certain point, We decided to do a book, and by then I had done interior uh, photography, so I said I'll do the interiors and I'll do uh, the landscape. But I had also, uh, showing you how it developed, I had also, because of I got interested in Frederick Church, uh, I spent almost five years while I was doing all this, uh, photographing in the footsteps of Frederick Church.
2: Can I jump in here just to mention that he is the the Hudson School, Hudson River School painter. Yes, thank yes. you.
1: He is the probably the leading uh, mid century, mid nineteenth century painter, mm-hmm. and um, uh, was a, a great, great and important genius. And and his work, one of the things he did was he uh, he painted Niagara. And uh, before him, no one really had ever really uh, painted Niagara. And it was his painting of Niagara, where he does away with uh, the, um, the foreground, uh, is, is really brilliant. And it had international acclaim. And he also painted in, at Ac- Acadia, Acadia National Park. And he painted icebergs in Newfoundland. And I went. Uh, up to Newfoundland, and I uh, photographed icebergs. And I went, I spent many a year uh, going to Acadia and photographing Acadia because it was just I was into it. And so, uh, as I, even though I started with the garden and the garden photography, I sort of branched out as time went on, and I, and then I wound up doing interiors. And so, when I was doing Alana, I did the interior. I did the the landscape and I did, uh, and we put in photographs of Niagara and, 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 um, uh, Newfoundland and Arcadia as well.
2: And can I jump in to ask uh, I, a couple of things? First of all, I'm real curious how you mentioned about the idea of seeing animals, uh, and, and using kind of that as, as the basis for the image, is that something that you still do? Or, you know, as you're looking at a landscape or, or you know, a part of a garden, uh, you know, what do you kind of focus your eye on? What do you? What is it that you that you want to see, and what do you want to then you know transmit to the viewer? Yeah, that's
1: a very good question. The thing is this: that what you're seeing is um, the garden is 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 a, a large area, and it changes every day. It has seasonal aspects, and I would say at least you can notice it even if you're not really paying attention on a weekly or at least a bi-weekly basis. But if you're paying attention every day, something different happens and the sun moves, mm-hmm. it just changes. So, um, and so that's the seasonality. So you have that, but you also have something else that's going on in terms of what conceptually you want to do. And I think there are two things about photographing. One is, Uh, It's brilliant for its specificity. In other words, it will, a photograph will give you enormous detail. And the other thing is that uh, it's also possible to transcend the detail and make something which is not only about a specific place, but, but speaks to all time and all places as to the use of light as to the use of color as to the as to uh, the the beauty of the composition and so forth hmm. so um, when you go in a garden you're doing two things you are try, you're trying to get something which is very specific so that you can say this isn't just anywhere it's somewhere it's somewhere specific it's interesting in itself because of its specificity And you're also trying to do something else, which is rise above it and sort of get to the area of aesthetics Mm -hmm. where someone would say, I would love to have that on my wall. I'll buy that. Uh, Museums would want it and so forth. So um, you're always yearning to get to the two things. And every day you go in, the garden changes and it's different. And every day uh, you set your sights at doing something which is novel. Yeah. So that's uh, that's why it's interesting. And that's why you don't get tired of it. And that's why I will follow uh, some gardens uh, for years because they're brilliant. Uh, They're works of art in themselves. They have enormous complexity. And um, they're about natural beauty.
0: What's interesting, you, you bring up a point that um, uh, it does change. Uh, I'm always aware of gardens and, and things that are uh, around where I am. Uh, and if you're in one location for enough time, you get to see the subtle changes. And the truth is, uh, a garden is not at all static. It's constantly changing. It's glacial. But it, like you say, every single day, something else is blooming or or, or going out of bloom. Uh, there are cha- lights the, the, the light changes, the uh, the color changes. There are never two moments the same in, in any garden itself. And you go a few inches one way or the other and your perspective changes. So you can take something like that and work on it forever. And no two pictures are the same. They might look a lot alike, but if you get into the detail, they're all different. No there's two is the same. One, there's also one
1: other thing, which is I think that most people uh, don't understand. And that is, Um, when you walk into a garden or you walk in anywhere to photograph um, and you take a a picture, that's a snapshot. All you've done is you see what's in front of you if you've taken it. The fact is, with respect to any tree or any little area in a garden, there are 360 degrees, and you can take that shot in 360 different ways or more. Mm -hmm.
2: Well, there's also one other thing that we haven't talked about When is you know, what we bring to it as photographer. I mean, you can bring uh, a macro lens or you can bring a wide angle lens and then you're adding, you know, a whole new set of elements. And, and do you do that a lot? I mean, are, are you somebody that is going to bring five lenses with you and, and kind of look at the same tree through different lenses or do you tend to, to work with, uh, you know, one or two focal lengths?
1: You know, well, I carry two lenses usually. I, I'm, I use a medium format camera. I have a um, six forty five z pentax which mm-hmm. is I've used for the last five years, and I carry two lenses uh i have i have more I have four lenses uh but <clears throat> if I'm going somewhere I'll take the two and uh and I may have some more in my car, but I don't need them In fact is I'll probably only work with one most of the time but I use a zoom lenses so and i do that because I find that the lenses are excellent. I have a 45 to 85 lens, which is, I guess, a 35 millimeter equivalent is like 35 to 50. And I have a 80 to 160, which is about uh, 70... To about 120. When I use my Nikon, uh generally if I'm u- doing some garden work with an Nikon I use, um I either use a 24 to 70 or I use a 24 to 120. The thing is this about going to a garden, uh the first thing I do when I go to a garden is not take photographs.
0: I was going to uh, ask I you meet, that. Yeah, okay. I meet
1: with the, <laughs> I meet with the owner or I meet with the gardener and I get a tour and I spend time going through the garden and getting a sense of it. Because if you look at it on a map, it's a two-dimensional thing. If you go through it, uh, the owner, and a lot of owners will want to walk you around because they're very proud of their garden and uh, they will tell you, uh, we planted this. This is why we did it. These are the problems we had. Uh, this is what I like about it. Uh, this is where I sit. Uh, this is where I stare. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is where uh, I go right. for shade. Uh, uh, you know, and, um, and then they'll go through the plantings with you and, um, and what's new in the garden, what they've changed. What problems they've had, and uh, you'll get this whole sense of it as alive, and how important it is, and what uh, the people who work in it believe it. it it's about,
2: right.
1: okay, it's about. It's like getting uh, going to a museum and sort of walking you, yourself through, or having um, you know a curator go through it with you and tell you. Why things are where they are, right. and how is the best way to go left or right, you know, and so forth. So, yeah. um, so you have to start there, and then the next thing is um, you have to really get a sense of the light, and that's very, very important. Uh, my, a lot of large gardens are basically microclimates, and they have a different climate from outside the garden.
0: Yeah. It's an it's, uh, interesting point. Yeah, right, okay.
1: Um, so, for example, if you look at the Rockefeller Gardens, which I did at Kaikit, that's on the Hudson. And uh, it's high on the Hudson. Uh, but they had, um, at one point, they had 5,000 acres or something like that. And uh, now the perimeter uh, there is about 250 acres, but it's still part of a whole uh, area where uh, there's nothing except woodland. And, um, so that has its own climate and it's different. Yeah. And, um, uh, it, it offers, uh, it offers, you know, uh, the light is different and, and, uh, it's seasonality is different from what you might find down the road a mile away.
2: Sure. Now when you go into a, I mean, after you've had that conversation with the gardener or the owner or, you know, the designer, do you, do you maintain those ideas and, and do you kind of bring them into your photography or, or you just kind of use that as part of, part of the stew to, uh, to get where you want to get?
1: Yeah, I would like to see what they see. And then, and I'd like to do, because sometimes I'm working for an institution. If, you were, if you're doing stuff for the New York Botanical Garden, you want to give the garden a view of its gardens as 50 gardens. You want to give it a view of its gardens which are which is the view that they have of their gardens. Now uh, my object is to do that but my object is to do something else. My object is to in fact see the gardens in my own way and what I say is when I walk into a garden I can move the trees around and I can move the Sun and people say, "How do you do that <laughs> Well, it's easy. You know, it depends on where you stand. If I want the sun um, and if I want the trees backlit, I move so that I'm, the tree is between me and the sun. And it's now backlit. If I want it to be basically prospectively accurate, I'll be in the r- normal range of the lenses. If I want to start moving things around so I flatten the perspective, and I do that sometimes, uh, sometimes uh, as a way of of bringing things together and regrouping uh, images and also colors. Uh, then I use a long lens. I use something like up at one hundred and twenty, where the perspective is flattened, but it's not distortive. So it looks like things. That were fifty feet apart are actually next to each other. So it's a composition. So in in the book on um, on the Rockefeller Gardens, uh, there is a uh, there's a fountain area uh, and there's a rill where water runs through, and they have a wonderful Maillot, which is uh, a French sculptor who, and it's of a naked woman who is fixing her hair. Now, uh, there are hedges alongside of her, and the hedges are eight foot apart. So she's in the rill, and the hedges are eight foot apart. I have gotten it so that it looks like she is standing between the hedges and that she is fixing her hair and keeping her body away from you in all modesty. So, I mean, the uh, people say, how do you do that? And I think, I said, there are places to stand. And if you, if you understand the optics, you can do it without any distortion.
2: Do you shoot a lot when you go to a garden or or are you somebody that, you know, will fire off a whole bunch of images and and figure it out later? Or do you, do you really pace yourself and, and get, you know, I mean, I know you're working with a tripod. So what I do is
1: I do a lot, but I do it slowly. Mm -hmm. Uh, Here's the way I do it. Uh, I shoot with a tripod. I also shoot with the mirror up. Mm-hmm. So I have a mirror camera. And I've done this with the night gun. Uh, the mirror is up. And then I also have, I don't use a cable, uh, but I use my finger, but I have a two-second delay. Okay. So when I press, there's two-second delay, and then the image is taken, and then... That may be because of the tripod. That may be depending on the light, uh, you know, quite fast or quite slow. I mean, sometimes I'll be waiting fifteen seconds.
2: Right. Do you keep the ISO as low as possible?
1: Uh, I keep the ISO at uh, as low as possible,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I uh, I keep the perspective uh, rather the uh, f stop at sixteen. Okay. And so uh, the variations that I make are all on the basis of time. Right, right. It's also, I think, worth
0: mentioning that your F-16 is not the same F-16 that you'd find on like a Nikon if you're working in medium form. That's closer to like an 8.5 F-11 because it's sort of comparable. It's not like you're stopping down for maximum. You're only going down about halfway or so on your your aperture range, correct?
1: That's that's correct. Now, if I wind wind up wanting to have really a foreground, a middle ground, and a background, all uh, in focus, uh, I will uh, go up to, uh, you know, F25 or more.
0: Most of those, I think they go up to like 32 at least, a lot of the medium. It's about 32. I I don't
1: really shoot at at, at, at that high because... The lens falls apart. Yeah, it's not good. You don't get... uh, you lose
0: uh, the sharpness. Yeah, you lose detail and other problems come in when you stop all you gain, yeah, right. You gain depth of field, but you lose otherwise. Something I wanted to ask you about, you, you to go back to for a moment, uh, you had mentioned, uh, we were talking about focal lengths, and 35, the equivalent of a 35 millimeter focal length seems to be your widest. Uh, and when we first started speaking uh, at the beginning of the show, uh you actually mentioned that you were aware of distortions in some of the earlier pictures you were taking are you gun shy about wide angles right now or or do no, you just no, find no, that you no. don't need them I have, a,
1: I have a wide angle lens i have a 28 uh to 45 uh, which is a really expensive oh, lens. that's
0: on your medium format okay so that's that's yeah. like an 18 to 36 something like that well, that's that's about real 22
1: wide or something, maybe okay
0: 20. yeah okay
1: okay and i use that uh oh i use that indoors always Okay. and I use that outside too, uh, because uh, it's a brilliant lens, but it's not so for example, uh, I did the outdoors, uh, I did the the Brubeck Dave Brubeck's garden. And uh, I've been doing it for a while, and uh, the family asked me if I would uh, photograph the interior. So I said, uh, I would it was a favor, a courtesy, and there uh, I used uh, I used the um, my my widest angle. I was shooting at uh, at twenty eight, and um, I also did while I was doing that. I was shooting outside because I was shooting uh, also. Uh, it had balconies, and I could overlook the garden, and I was using. Very, very wide angle uh, lens there as well. And I will uh, often uh, go in a garden and use a wide angle lens for a whole day just to get a series of shots so that I have uh, uh, a sense of what it all looks like uh, at that perspective. Gotcha. Now, uh, I don't, I will correct the perspective if there's distortion. I, I really I don't like the distortion.
0: And, and I, I assume you're speaking specifically like keystone distortion uh, from architecture? Or are you talking about spatial distortion when you get too close to something with a wide angle? How are you defining distortion?
1: Uh, well, both. Okay. Both. Uh, for example, <clears throat> uh, I did a winter tour, and one of the things they had there, which is quite wonderful, they had this wonderful spiral staircase. And I used every wide angle lens I had. From The Nikon, I had stuff that going to 12, you know, and um, and I looked at it and I played with everything. And when I got really where I wanted to be, I was probably at about um, uh, on a 35 millimeter equivalent, got uh, between 24 and 35. Mm, okay, and and, and and that would give you, and I had they that that. that that stair- stairway had been photographed many, many times, but the point was that, uh, and people did it, and they were they were enjoying the distortion, uh, and I never felt that it really uh, properly represented what it looked like, and so, um, but I want, I but I got the full range of it, and uh, then I looked at what I had, and I, and my instinct was to go with
0: something which looked real to the eye. I think it's an important point because uh, one of the traps, first I I love wide angle lenses, um, but one of the traps of it is that when you're using them, you sometimes start making art rather than recording what's there. And I think that for what you're doing in in the case of, say, a garden, your job is not to uh, reinterpret the way it was laid out or landscape. Your job is to capture it, to show the way either nature carved it or the way, Human beings modified it to create this environment, and it, the job is really to uh, uh, to record it and to interpret it, but not necessarily do your own version of it, make, make it in, like what I say, make it into art.
1: Well, I, I well that's I, I would say this. I, I'd stop a little before uh, what you're saying because the fact is this: Gregory Long, who was the head of the New Botanical Garden, wrote uh, an introduction to uh, my. Book garden portraits, and what he said was, and it's in the forward there. He said many times uh, we would look at Larry's photographs, and we'd say, "Where is that in the garden?" And he couldn't find it. And the answer was, "It's there, uh, but I flatten the perspective and I move things around, you know, visually. Uh, but there's no uh, distortion." I haven't distorted. You would see it if you stood where I stood, uh, but you might not see it unless you were trained to see it. And what they told me there over time was they all learned to see differently, including Uh, my wife about our garden. She says she sees it completely differently now.
2: I actually think that's one of the greatest compliments to a photographer. Well, your success.
0: That's correct. (laughs) Yes.
1: they didn't start out that way. Everybody said, "Why you're you're not a visual person?" <laughs> I said, "I'm a conceptual person, and I see things differently." So w- one of the things is this: when um, when I was doing a number of gardens, I had occasionally I had gardeners walk with me as I was photographing, and um, and I and they would say, "What do you think about?" Pruning here, or pruning there, and I said, "God, I love it the way it is." Because if you look at the line, it lines up with something, uh, you know, a, about ten feet from it, and and it fills the space in a kind of a lovely way. And he said, "I had never seen that." You're absolutely right. He said, "We just have to be careful, don't we?" And I said, "It's true." So the thing is this: that I am seeking to have art, um, and that. That's the license that I take uh, when, I'm, when I'm allowed to photograph. What I give is I give a product which records the garden in a way uh, so that it is. And, and, for example, what's interesting is this. I mean, it's, it, it, you sort of fall into things. I started photographing the trees at the New York Botanical Garden, and I had no object in mind other than to be there and photograph the trees. That's all. It was a pleasure. And I was busy working as a lawyer, and I could only get there very early in the morning on a Saturday and very early on a Sunday. And I chose to do the New Botanical Garden because, uh, you know, I sort of got tired of my own garden because I hadn't fully realized what I was doing and understood what I was doing, or appreciating what I
0: could do. Okay, we're going to take a short break. and we come back, we're going to speak more with Larry about the making of his upcoming book, Garden Portraits, Experiences of Natural Beauty. Stay tuned. We hope you're enjoying this edition of the BH Photography
1: Podcast. The best way to support the show is by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For links to gear and more information on today's guests, check out the show notes in your podcast app or visit our homepage on the BH Explorer website and join the BH Photography Podcast Facebook group. And now, back to the show.
0: Okay, we are back uh, with Larry Letterman and his new book, Garden Portraits, Experiences of Natural Beauty. Uh, We got advanced uh, PDF copies of the book. and We've been going through it and it's some amazing stuff here. First of all, it's important to note that uh, this is uh, 16 different gardens uh, from the tri-state area around New York. uh, And there's some amazing places here. Uh, There's the Marion Gardens, Rocky Hills, uh, the Brubeck Garden from Dave Brubeck, uh, Rockefeller Properties. These are premier properties. I've actually been to two or three of them in the past on working on other assignments, and they are magnificent properties that most people in this day and age can't even conceive of buying, let alone buying the land and then turning it into something magnificent. Uh, So the book itself is, is a tremendous resource to see what's possible with gardening and some amazing landscaping and real estate photographs. I hate using the word real estate, not with selling houses here, but just to see what people can do and what's possible. Um, How do you figure out Uh, Larry, let me ask you a question. I'm looking through these pictures right now, and there's there's four seasons here. And when you're taking on a large project of this sort, it's not going to be for like, I'm going to be working there for a week. Because again, there's seasons, there's time of day. And and like we mentioned earlier, every moment in a garden is a totally different combination of what's growing and the light. So how do you form the parameters of of your schedule? How do you do this?
1: Well, First of all, if I take on a garden that I'm going to photograph, I tell them it's going to be at least a year. So uh, that, um, and I will often start in the winter. Uh, but if I start in the middle of the year, whatever it is, and then uh, if I start in the spring, I may tell them I'm going to need two springs. Because uh, once I, when I start in the beginning of a project, I know, I don't know enough about the garden really to have, as informed and as interesting photographs as I do later on. Do you, so, looking, on purpose,
0: do you prefer looking at, you mentioned that you try to start in the winter? is that because the leaves aren't there and you have a better idea of what the actual physical landscape looks like before leaves fill in?
1: Yes. The bones are all there. Gotcha. And what it is is also it unfolds and it's a surprise. It's very delightful uh, in certain gardens. To see them change, I mean, they, when you come back, it's just eye-opening. You hadn't expected it. You didn't, you couldn't have, have predicted it. And there it is. And then when they, when it starts to flower, when the trees start to flower, it's always, it's always a wonder. And when the trees change color, it's a wonder. So, and then when the snow is there, it's, it's also uh, gorgeous. So, um... There's something to see all year, and uh, there's no way I feel that you can do a garden uh, by just uh, going, uh, you know, dropping in not by helicopter and coming out three hours later. It just won't happen. Now, unfortunately,
2: that reminds me if I may jump in. You you mentioned (laughs) helicopter, I know you're, you're joking, but you do have some aerial shots. Do you use, have you used drones, or is this just all getting up someplace high with your camera?
1: No, I actually, I, I was in a helicopter for the New York Botanical Garden. Oh, okay. uh, I took photographs of, one of the most difficult photographs I had was for the Botanical Garden where I took a, a photographs of the conservatory. Mm-hmm. And um, I was, I was I th- the, the, there's an open door and just a seatbelt. I thought I was going to have a harness, <laughs> no harness. And we're flying over the garden and I'm over the conservatory and I see, in the pool below, the uh, the reflection of the conservatory, and it's gorgeous. And so I say to the pilot, <clears throat> "Come back around again. I want to get that." And he says, "Oh, he says we have a real photographer." Here. <laughs> and mm-hmm. he turns the craft so that it's on an angle. I almost, I'm holding on for dear life. And I also had uh, for I, using my Nikon camera, I had a stabilizer for it. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah, and, uh, but I was shooting very, very fast right. and I got some really wonderful images.
2: You also mentioned, uh, snow and, you know, snows, we're not seeing as much snow as you used to clearly. Uh, do you, you know, when there's a snow day, do you kind of drop everything and, and run to the gardens to make sure you get some shots with, with snow in it? Or is that just uh, I do. how you work? Yeah,
1: <laughs> I, do. I do. One of the gardens uh, in the book, um, is on a, a, a huge slope, uh, and there's, there's, a, an, there's an overlook where you can see out over the whole garden, which is about 12 acres. You, uh, you can see the whole garden, but you have to be able to get there. Um, and um, I wanted it in the winter because uh, the canopy was such that you really couldn't see the garden in any time of year except the winter. And I wanted snow, and it snowed, and it snowed, and it snowed. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I I was knee-deep in snow, and I had to walk. Um, I mean, it was so exhausting carrying a pack (laughs) and everything and all my equipment through the snow uh, to get to a spot where I could overlook uh, the whole of the garden in snow and get it bare bones and just see it so beautifully laid out. But yes, it's important and you have to do that. Now, uh, just to give you another sense of the timing, in this book, I'm doing 16 gardens. And uh, I'm, and, and you, you get a sense of how transient uh, each season is and how much change there is. So in one week, when, when all of a sudden, all the magnolias start to blossom and everything is blossoming, uh, you have to be there. And uh, so some days I was, I, I work about two and a half to three hours at most in the garden. And some days I would be at three gardens, I would nine hours of photographing. Hmm. And then I'd have to go home and look at everything and see what I had. Uh, because I might, might have to go back a day or two, and I, I w- would wanted to have a sense of what I was able to get and what I was missing, and how what, what approach I should take the next time around. And do you and always
2: I, look at your work? You tend to look at your work immediately afterwards. Always look at it after. Yes. Right. Right. What always. about your post process? Do you do you do much? Do you do you tweak the colors at all? Do you work in Photoshop at all?
1: Uh, No, I don't use uh, Photoshop. I use Lightroom. Okay. Uh, Lightroom, the reason is it's a great, great uh, program for organizing everything. Right. I mean, I have huge amounts of photographs, and uh, I can find everything. And I put in all kinds of data about what I took and and where it is and all that. Uh, I I really spend a lot of time uh, so that I can find things.
2: And do you consider yourself a bit of of an archivist in that sense? I mean, documenting these these places to well, uh, yeah. Not what just I, the aesthetics of the image, but for the for for future generations.
1: Well, yes. Uh, what happened was I, I I fell into that by chance when I did the New York Botanical Garden and I started doing the trees. It turned out that when the garden started looking at my photographs, what they said to me was something that shocked me, and that was. Um, and we were now, um, the garden was, let's say, 110 years old. They didn't have good photographs of the trees. And, um, and I was the only one who had systematically, over a long period of time, been photographing uh, the trees, including the native forest, which is a 40-acre native forest I would go in. And I'd spend hours um, in, 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 in the native forest. It's like walking in another world. Uh, it it predates uh, Columbus. And um, so, uh, yes,
0: it becomes an archive. Now- Let me me ask you a question, uh, if I may. You said they didn't have good pictures of trees. Define that.
1: Okay. Uh, First of all, they didn't have very many pictures of their trees. Okay. Number one, because people are interested in flowers and shrubs, yeah, um,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And, and their biggest resource were the trees. Um, and the other is that uh, it's very difficult to take photographs of trees. And it's very, very difficult because people t- tend to go
0: close. And look up. And use one-angle lenses. Exactly, sure. Because you, you can't back up in many cases.
1: Well, you can.
0: If you you <laughs> can find
1: a place where you can back up. Yeah. And you can back up. And if you back up, you can see the tree and you can see its context and you can see how it relates to the other trees and so forth. So um, it's a, you have to really spend time looking at the trees and I would follow, I followed certain trees. I love certain trees. And whenever I went to the garden, I'd even start taking the same picture over and over again because I knew that there would be differences in the light Uh, and I just it was a pleasure just sort of warm up to take a picture of certain
2: trees. Isn't it incredible how you can have a relationship with a tree? Not to be not to be silly here, but but obviously if you see it many times over the course of seasons and days and and light, but you know especially if it's a tree in, in your own backyard or one place, they they be, they become there is some kind of relationship you develop with them. Oh, there's, right. a tree in,
0: there's a tree in Marine Park in Brooklyn that I climbed as a five- and six-year-old. <clears throat> right. And I was there a few months ago. And that tree is still there. And it's a lot bigger. And I couldn't even reach the first branch
2: anymore. <laughs> you know, that actually reminds me of something. When I lived in Buenos Aires, they, their city's website has an archive that's very well documented of the trees in the city. So wow. if you want to look up a certain type of tree, you can you search it. You map it and it you can go to that spot where it is. And, and we're not talking about in gardens. We're just talking about on side streets and everything. It, it's a pretty incredible thing. That's, well, that's- the, the, the Central
1: Park now has a very, very good a map of all their trees. Somebody actually did that. Uh, and uh, they have photographs of the trees. But I don't think they really have photographs of all their trees in in a, in a kind of an artistic way. Right. Uh, that still remains open. Right. but uh, they do have, uh, you know, a record of their trees, and the New York Botanical Garden had a record of their trees too, and they know when everything is planted and where they are and all that. But I mean, from a photographic perspective, where you get to see it over time.
2: And how familiar are you with with the plants themselves? Is this something that you you take into consideration? Are you do you kind of take this this micro approach also, or is it really just more about? the design of the space and, and how the trees and, and the plants relate to each other with whatever sculptures are there. Um, do you interest yourself much in, in digging down into maybe, I don't know, a very rare species of plant that would be in a garden?
1: Well, what happens is this. It's hard to avoid getting to know things. For example, when we did uh, Magnificent Trees of the New York Botanical Garden, I've been photographing trees for years and I had about 75 trees that I've, the different species that I followed. And the first thing they said to me was a hundred has to be a <laughs> hundred. So, you know, I said, okay, find them for me. Right. You know? And so you have to learn uh, which ones you're dealing with and so forth. And when do they flower? You have to learn something about them and know, uh, know them and get to be familiar with them. So that's right. one thing. So over time, you start to identify. You're able to identify, yeah. and the other is, I have a garden, um, and uh, my garden is in the book. It's called the Hawk's Nest, and so my wife is the gardener, uh, but I have learned a lot about it. But I'm still not perfect with respect to it. I mean, I always start from the perspective. Isn't that lovely? Um, <laughs> and, Keep it simple. Yeah. And, and then I say to the gardener, what is it? Okay. Now, sometimes, sometimes it's really interesting because the garden asked me to photograph their lilac collection. And, uh, they said to me the following, which I thought was really interesting. He said, it's very, very difficult to tell the lilacs apart from their flowers and so forth. So, uh, if you do it without identification," we're going to wind up having to spend hours to try to figure out uh, which ones they are and so forth. So every time I took a picture, I take a picture of the na- name tag as well.
2: I did want to real, real quickly ask about your own garden. Uh, and if you don't mind we, asking a couple of questions about it, because from sure. what I, from what I understood um, your wife is, is the daughter of the filmmaker Howard Hawks, correct? That's correct. And, and was it his, did he start the garden? Is it his, was it his property? Oh, no, no, no. Okay. All
1: right. Uh, this is, um, he lived in California. Uh, Kitty came East. Um, and, uh, she actually, well, uh, the, 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 her, she was, uh, her mother divorced, uh, Howard, uh, when Kitty was relatively young and Kitty lived in, uh, in, uh, in in Long Island, uh, so she went out to Hollywood later on. Was an agent for a while, and then came back. Went to architecture school and became a designer. So, um, but um, this is her garden. She was not a landscape designer when she started. She's become one uh, because she's interested in color. She has a uh, as both an architect and a, and a, as a designer. She has a great sense of space, and, um, and so uh, it's developed over the years. I mean, what happened was when we built, we built a house here and, in Westchester, and when it finished, I said to her, uh, walk outside with me, because everybody was so proud it was done. And I said, now look at it. What's missing? She said, I don't see anything missing. I said, yeah, there's a garden missing. <laughs>
0: That's and, I, um, and I have this idea for a book that I want to do, and I need you to like give me a starting point here. By the way, who well, built the brick, the, the stone wall? I'm looking at the pictures. I, I'm a I'm a nut for stone walls, and I'm looking at them. They're oh, yeah, We
1: had the same <laughs> mason uh, for uh, 25 years.
0: Wow, wow, it's beautiful stuff. By the way, there's uh, one shot in particular I absolutely love, and it's the snow yeah. scene of the rose garden. It's magic. Yes, yes. it's her rose
1: garden. Yes. Um, well, the light's beautiful. Yes. Yeah. You know, what happens is you have some days in the winter where, um, it's very warm Uh and the snow starts to melt and the light is, is very gracious and it sort of bathes everything. And it's the moments when you, it's like being outside, is like being outside in the spring.
0: Yeah. And
1: yeah. it was one of those days and the light was just gorgeous. I just couldn't resist
0: it. Yeah. No, it's a good shot. And I just, uh, th- yeah, everything works on it. It's real <laughs> sweet. And it's nice because it, everything else is green, green, green with flowers. And all of a sudden you go is this white and gray and brown and beige. And, and it's stunning. It holds up on its own. Well, that
1: that's <clears throat> the thing is this, what you want to be able to do is once you've taken the photographs is have a number that will hold up on their own that people, uh, or, or other people will be interested in. Yeah. And then the other thing about that is that what Kitty told me, and this is really, uh, when, when she saw that the, she liked the photograph, she said to me they should be large, mm. really large. Mm. So um, the Botanical Garden asked for a number of photographs for their halls and so forth and for classrooms. And I, the first I did was about 30 by 45, and then we looked at it, and we said, you know, that's small. And ultimately, we were doing uh, 40 by 60. And then uh, I had some various shows at the Four Seasons restaurant. So uh, we, we had this enormous space, and, and we had to fill a wall. And so I decided we'd try to do something as, as large as we could. And uh, the largest piece of paper uh, that Kodak makes, I think, is 72 by 108. And, um, so we did, which is, um, about, um, 72, six feet. So it's, uh, it's six by nine foot. And, um, what we did actually, uh, to do something that large, uh, we created it in a negative, And so we actually printed it on the Kodak, uh, in a Kodak process. Oh, wow. and we made a negative and then printed it on it. And, uh, It filled the space. Somebody, the first day we put it up and we put up the other stuff. Somebody walked down and said, "I take, I'll take it." (laughs) We said, "Okay." And then we discovered, as you always will, that there aren't elevators (laughs) to be able to put them in, and so forth, and um, even in office buildings. And we uh, and that photograph had to be put on the top of an elevator to be transported up to an office. Um, so, uh, I decided that really, uh, the largest would be, um, uh, the largest we do is 60 by 90.
0: That's all? And then,
1: no. <laughs> and then, that's big. And then uh, we ultimately got down at the, the size that's most convenient and still large is 40 by 60.
2: Well, I mean, what would you, what would your advice be for? For folks that are just working in their own backyard, you know, gar- people that want to kind of capture their own garden, uh, and any thoughts, any pieces of advice that, that you could share? Sure, I
1: do. Sure, I have advice. Uh, the advice I have is this, cause I'm doing the same thing. My garden is being published in this book, but there are only, I think about 10 or 12 photographs. Um, I have many more photographs and my wife wants a book on her garden. And so we're going to self-publish. And that's what I would tell people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's relatively inexpensive. And uh, you, can, uh, you can have all the fun of taking the photographs, uh, working with them, printing them, choosing them, designing a book, and uh, printing it. And uh, there are programs to do it. Or you can get somebody to help you. But it's not that expensive.
2: And do you think the whole process of making that book would kind of improve your photography or Absolutely. or, or Absolutely. appreciate because of the garden? What happens,
1: is, what happens is once you'll discover you have many, many photographs, one of the things you have to do is decide um, which ones are worth keeping, which ones are really fit uh, and tell a story, which ones are worth looking at. And
0: you, and you have to be objective too.
1: Yes. And you have to be, you have to have somebody who does it with you mm-hmm. who says, uh, no, that's not for the book. Okay. And then you can discover that you don't have enough photographs for a book, even a small book, if you really do that. And then what you'll do is you'll go back and you'll take more photographs and you'll get better ones because all of a sudden you've been critical in a way and you had other people look at it. It's a project, and you discover that uh, there's a lot to do and there's a lot of ways to think about it and that just because you took it doesn't mean it's good. As one of the great photographers said, if I knew how to take a great photograph every time, I would. Yeah. There's another thing that that happens also. Um, and that's why I started using a tripod very, very early. Once we started printing the photographs, I discovered And photographs that I thought were wonderful uh, were basically, once you blew them up, uh, they were, um, there was all kinds of movement in them. You noticed
0: that too? Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) They're out of focus. So uh, that's why I say um, you have to be very, very careful. That that tripod is very, very important. And uh, you can, just by the way you press the camera, you can jiggle it.
0: By the way, you, you mentioned you use this two-second delay and a tripod. That's exactly what I do for a lot of the work that I do. Uh, I, I try to have a camera on a tripod whenever possible, especially when you get past 30 megapixel. You see all this movement. It's it's amazing what you do pick up. But I find that um, the two-second delay actually works very well. And I, for a while, I've, I've been using short like cables and stuff like that. Even then, you can jar the camera, whereas the two-second delay, it works nicely. That's a good way of doing it. The
1: two-second delay is genius because I used to use cables, and what happens, they break all the time. Yeah. And that didn't always work. Um, And um, it was a big encumbrance. Two seconds is nothing. And, in fact, you sort of like it because when you get used to the rhythm of it, it's that moment when it's happening. It's kind of nice, and then you wait for the camera to respond. Now, the other thing I do, which is very, very important in terms of practical advice, I look at the histogram. Uh The histogram is very important and I will, if I don't have a good histogram, I will adjust and adjust and adjust. I may take four or five photographs of the same thing on the tripod. And so if it's on the tripod and it's fixed, then you are, and you, you like the composition then you can adjust the time and get a variety of images. And then you can work with, Of course, you have the problem always with the light in the ground mm-hmm. and you, it's always a compromise somewhere. So if you take four or five photographs, you can pick one that's the best compromise.
0: Okay. Uh, Larry, thank you so, so much for joining us today. A terrific conversation. Uh, your new book is coming out soon and the name of it and where will it be available from? Okay. Uh,
1: it's called Garden Portraits, Experiences of Natural Beauty. It's published by Monticelli Press. It'll be available for pre-order on Amazon, and you'll all be also be able to purchase it uh, at the New York Botanical Garden and other uh, local bookstores.
0: And also the book you did on the uh, New York Botanical Gardens, that is also available at the New York Botanical Gardens. Certainly. Okay. And
1: the, uh, and the one I did on the Rockefeller family gardens is available. Uh, if you tour uh, the, the uh, Rockefeller gardens, in Kikin, uh, I, the book is sold there as well.
0: I, I was there many years ago. It's an amazing place. And when I was looking through the photographs. I, I recognized a lot of it. Having been there, I, I'm looking at it and I go, yep, you nailed it. Uh, and great the, books, stuff. You can
2: find these, the books are all, I, I mean, doing a quick Google search, you can find these books at, at, at your major uh, online retailers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also wanted to mention that uh, Larry's going to be doing a webinar at b in October, just about right. the same time that the book is uh, going to be officially released. Keep an eye on our, our website for that. Alrighty. Uh, again, Larry, thank you
0: so, so much for joining us. If you are not a subscriber to the b Photography Podcast, what are you waiting for? Head on over to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you subscribe to podcasts and sign up. It's absolutely free and you'll love it. There's over 200 episodes on archive. You can just download them every time you want. And remember, you can always find us on the b Explorer website and the b Photography Podcast group. That said, my name is Alan Weitz. And on behalf of John and Jason, thank you so much for tuning in today.